The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
Yeah. 
Now then, also I'm going to share, share some different things with you today, and we're going to travel down memory lane somewhat. But um, today's my birthday. Hey, thank you. Today I turned 30. And everybody laughs, and these young ladies are sitting over there like, dude, have you not looked in the mirror lately? You have no hair on your head. This thing you're trying to do on your face, it's gray. You are not 30 years old. This is a little different birthday that I'm celebrating today. For it was 30 years ago today was the last day that I took a drink of alcohol. And I've shared this before from up here and from different places. And, uh, you know, there's a day and time I wouldn't shared it. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed of what I'd done and where I'd been. But, you know, it was 30 years ago and then a few short days later that I was laying on that bed in that rehab center. And, yeah, I was in a rehab center. And I've told the story before that I don't know how I got off the bed because I was sitting there thumbing a Bible. Wasn't reading it, just thumbing it. And I wound up on my knees in that rehab center. And I, you know, I told the story several times. I don't know how I got from the bed to there. I don't know. But I've, I know now. I know exactly how I got from here to there. And it was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit basically grabbed a hold of me and drug me off that bed and down onto my knees. And I prayed that simple prayer. I said, Jesus, I can't do this anymore. I tried it my way, and I failed. Take this, for I cannot do this anymore. And as I've talked about, the most incredible feeling came over me, one that I've never felt since. And I got up, I got back on that bed, and I went to sleep. And I've told the story several times, and that I've never felt that feeling ever again. But at that point and that time, Jesus took my life and took over. And it's so amazing. Now, then you would think that, you know, yeah, I didn't, it wasn't like the next day I got to come home. It was, I had to stay there several more weeks. But as, as I came home and came back to Portage, you would think someone that had that experience would be on fire for Jesus. That I couldn't wait to get to church or I couldn't wait to go to this group. I couldn't wait to read that Bible. I wanted to read this book. But I wasn't that away. I came back to Portales and I continued on with my life minus alcohol. You know, and people say, well, why didn't you go start going to church if Jesus really grabbed a hold of you? And guys, I'm fixing to be, here's some brutal, honest truth. And I don't want anybody to take offense from any of this. But number one, back then, to me, church was boring. It just was not for me. Number two, in the profession I was in and what I did and a lot of people I associated with and worked with and in the community and so forth, a lot of the people that um, I saw them as people that walked, were through the doors every time the doors were swinging. And not this, I'm not talking about this church, but churches in our community. Every time the doors were swinging, they were through them. But yet during the week, they're trying to figure out the best advantage for them. 
And if you happen to be on their coattails, well, then you got along too, but they weren't out to help you at all. And I was like, what a hypocrite. I don't need no part of that. Number one, it's boring. Number two, it's a bunch of hypocrites. I don't need to go there. I'm spirit-filled, and I'm very, I've got lots of spirit in me, but I don't got much religion in me. And I went along through that. You know, through all this, I sit there and I stopped, and, you know, and if we back up just a tick here, whenever I came out of that rehab center, what do you think saved me? It's simple. It was God's grace. For God's grace pours out all over the place. For the second he died on that cross, he got on that cross for you, for me, for every single one of us. And it's his grace that pours out over us. But in order for us to accept the grace, we've got to have what? A little bit of faith, don't we? So whenever I, got, whenever I first got saved and I was on my knees in that, in that center and I got up, Grace, if I, if, I, if I was to rate it on a scale of 1 to 10, grace was what? Probably at a 10, wasn't it? Boom. And where do you think my faith was? It was at a 10 at the moment. And then as I came back and I talked about, you know, no, I'm, I, I, the Spirit will take care of me. You know, religion, that's just not really for me. What do you think? Grace was where? It was at a 10. Where was the faith? Probably down here about a four. You know, and then I rock along. I keep going along. And, and after a while, you know, Karen, you know, we, Karen and I had kids. And Karen decides to go to church and take the kids to church. Okay. So I tag along behind, you know. And we walked into a little non-denominational church over here and walked in there. And I looked up there. Ooh, there's drums. There's guitars. What's this all about? I've never seen nothing like this. Here in a little bit, they struck the band up, and here we went. And I was like, wow, now I can get into this. This is okay. You know? Grace was still up here to 10. Faith, maybe a five. But as we rocked along there, you know, we, uh, the pastor really accepted us in and even put us in charge of a care group and we were doing different things. But you know what? I was going through the actions. This God thing, eh, I agree, it's a good deal. But someone would ask me to pray? Uh, ain't happening. No, get someone else to do that. We'd be at a banquet and, you know, and they'd say, hey, Mike, you want to give the invocation? Uh, no, no, no. You better let someone else do that. I wouldn't talk about God. Why? Because I was scared to death that I was going to do it wrong. I was scared I was going to do it wrong in God's eyes. And it took, and we, we go back to the scale thing there. Grace is where? It's still at a 10. Where's the faith? It's probably down at a 2. For if I truly had faith in God and in His grace, I would have had no problems praying. But as we moved along, and, and I've even told the story once before up here about a man that was traveling from Brownfield to Roswell, and God told him, no, you need to detour and you need to go to Portalis because there's a man in Portalis you need to pray over. And that man found me in the parking lot of Stripes, back whenever it used to be town and country. And he laid his hands on me and prayed over me that day. 
Grace was at a 10. And faith was up there about a 9. So we see the grace, we see the grace stay up here. It's always there, isn't it? Jesus is always there. That grace is always high. Now our faith sometimes does this. Unfortunately, and I hope you're one of these people that you say your grace is at 10 and my faith is always at a 10. And if you are, praise God. But maybe you're one that you say, okay, I can see where that grace is at a 10. But my face is a zero. And I've been there too. And I think every one of us in this room can say, you've been there one point in time. So as we go forth and we pay attention to grace and we look back at our life and we look at what we've done and where we've been and where our walk's been, you see a man now that stands before you that has no problems talking about God. As a matter of fact, if he gets a microphone in in his hand, he can even tell even more people about God. In 10, 15 years ago, uh uh-uh, that wasn't happening. Because the faith wasn't there. And as the faith grows in this man, hopefully it's growing in you. Because I'm going to tell you this, that with grace and with faith, this year, I will be bright. I will be cheerful. And I will be happy. And due to God hanging on that cross and shedding his blood for me, his power of his blood, his power flows through my veins. And it's going to be nothing but outstanding. Let's pray. Father God, I come to you today as I just, I don't know what else to say, but say, I love you. That you took a a young drunk and you saved him with your grace. That you showed him that it's not about that. That you showed him it's about you. Father, we lift every person in this room up. Everyone that's listening online. Everyone on the radio. I lift them up to you, Father. That your grace is over them all the time. That you're at that 10. We know you will be. And as we run, we run hard from you a lot of times. And we know you're just simple trot behind us. That if we'll just but slow down for a minute, your grace can be on us. As we go forth, let it give us knowledge, give us wisdom, give us health. So that we can do your work on your earth the way that you want it to be done. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. It's a new year, so time for New Year's resolutions. Everybody loves those, uh, and by the 7th of January, we're done with them. But the great Irma Bombeck was a writer, and she gave some of her best New Year's resolutions. Here are our top five. Number one, I'm going to clean this dump just as soon as these kids are gone. I think some parents could relate to that. Number two, I will go to no doctor whose office plants are dead. Number three, I'm going to apply for a hardship scholarship to Weight Watchers. Number four, I will, listen closely, I will never loan my car to anyone I have given birth to. I actually was reading that only to people, and then I had to read it real close. And and then she said, and just like last year, I'm going to remember that my children need to love, need love the most 
when they deserve it the least. That's a pretty good way to start. And as we start 2024 at Central, I'd like us to think about what Jesus would have wanted. In John chapter 15, Jesus is finishing his ministry here on the earth. He's calling all his buddies together. It's Gethsemane. That la- that, there's about five or six chapters that are just the last night of Jesus' life. The washing of the feet, the last supper that we just took in communion in, in just a little while ago. And, and then Gethsemane. And you would think that he's gathering his guys up close to tell them what the next steps are going to be. I'm giving you this incredible gift, the gospel. So here's how it's going to lay out. You'd think that's what he'd want everybody to do. Pull them together and say, okay, Jesus is going to lay out a five-year plan with goals and expectations. Or maybe he would give them a what-to-do list and how to build a church and what it's organized as. And so everybody has the same structure, so everybody knows what's going on. Or at the very least, in our vernacular, he would give some actionable items and an organizational chart. You know, who's the boss and how it all works out. Yet Jesus did none of that. It's the last few moments he has with his apostles. And he starts talking about a vine. In John chapter 15, he has this beautiful illustration of I'm the vine and the branches and and you are the branches. And, And his focus is not on the production. It's on the connection. Listen to John 15 verse 4. It says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. His simple charge, I'm giving you the greatest gift this world has ever seen, the gospel, and here's your charge. Stay connected. That's the biggest part of it. We're going to use a word this year, a new word called anothering. Everybody say anothering. Anothering. I was all really fired up about this because I thought this word was all new and I was all original. And uh, let's go and go to that next slide if we could. But anothering was going to be our focus. You're going to see the little cutouts of people around here. I told Franklin, man, I like this anothering idea. And, and then I started looking around on Google and lots of people have used that word. So it wasn't that original. I thought it was really cool, but it's not that original. It's still a great concept. And we're going to use this word anothering a lot because I believe deep in the, in the heart of every human is a desire for community. God designed us to be relational beings. Mike often, when he's up here, he talks about the uh, John 10, 10, where the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I've come so that you can have full life, abundant life. We're built for community. Yet our culture has strayed far from that ideal. Homes become battlegrounds instead of places of refuge. Churches flounder in discord rather than flourishing in unity. And social media, social media thrives on people wanting to get my opinion and try to make a point instead of trying to make a connection. But scripture uses this one phrase, one another. 
I've found it at least 59 times in the New Testament. And we're going to look at it for the next few weeks. And we're going to use this word anothering all throughout our year. The last couple of years, we were people of prayer. And last year was people of the word. And this year, our theme is going to be anothering. The, how to be connected with other people. We're going to make it a point to work on connection. And you would think that I would start this whole study with the most famous of all the one another's love one another. I'm not. We're going to start in a different place about belonging to one another. Join me in Romans chapter 12. If you're online or on the radio, Romans chapter 12, look in verse 4 and 5. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function. So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Andy Stanley said the primary activity of the church was one anothering one another. (laughs) That was the, the whole focus of the first church was hanging on to each other. And we looked at that passage there in, in John 15 where connection was more important than production. Now, I've used the vine passages a lot, and I love those passages. And it talks about fruit. You'll, you'll be able to see their fruit. And I'm just as guilty as everybody else. We talk about the fruit. You've got to produce. got to produce fruit. And Jesus was more concerned with the connecting part, staying connected with him. The production, the fruit, is a byproduct of a healthy connection because we're tied to him. And most of us have heard a phrase that says something like the church is an organism, not an organization. Have you heard some variation of that? And I love that and I agree with that. Because everywhere I've seen, the church is always talked about in a living format, in something that's alive. The vine. Uh, the church is the bride of Christ. In, in another passage, it is living stones. Stones that are alive, that are breathing. It was never about structure. But it's funny when man wants to make something new and improved. Anybody seen the new and improved? Or I'm going to go take over a company. I'm going to, we're going to institute new programs. We're going to get more structure. We're going to have better systems, a better organization. That's how man does it. And Jesus said, we need to be connected. We need to be members of one another. Now, the word member was probably used in the New Testament different than we use it today. We talk a lot about church membership. Now, I personally believe something, membership is something you practice, not you place. But many of you come from different backgrounds. Some, place, some places you place membership. Sometimes you move your letter or something along. I'm fine with any of that. That's, that's fine. But the New Testament says very little about church membership. From the actual text, I can only find one passage that talks about church membership. And it's where he says, and the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. That's it. Everything else is man-made. Every, every other place. Now, many of you have been here for a while or you come and you ask me, now, is there a membership class? What do I got to do to be a member of this congregation? Well, we take that verse where he says the Lord added to them daily. We kind of take that seriously. Say, hey, if you want to be here, be here. <laughs> be involved. Get involved. Get in and, and vote with your heart and your life and get involved and, and, and be a part. Because it's not a club. It's a family. But club mentality has 
has drifted into a lot of churches. I'm a member of several clubs. I'm a Rotarian. I'm in the Rotary Club. Some of you are in Altrusa, uh, Chess Club, Book Club, whatever. Many of you are in lots of clubs. And I really started looking. I think club membership boils down to about three factors. There might be a fourth or fifth one, but I think you could probably get them in these three areas. If you're going to be a part of this club, number one, you got to attend occasionally. Number two, you got to follow the rules that we do, whether it's a golf club or a book club, or it's just kind of the, the decorum. And number three, you've got to pay your dues. Is that a fair assessment of most clubs? Those are, and again, there might be a few others, but I think most clubs would fall into those three categories. Sadly, many churches, that's what they define as membership. Well, do they go? <laughs> and uh, do they follow the rules? Do they look like us and dress like us and act like us? And do they pay their dues? <laughs> and that's what church membership is about in some places. Friends, if we do church like that, we are going to be miserable failures at anothering. We will not be any good at that because if that's our definition of what a member is, that does not require us to belong to each other. But Paul says in Romans 12, we, we belong to each other. We are part of each other. And friends, if we're going to raise the impact of God in Portalis, in this community or, or in the surrounding communities or even in our world, if we're going to raise the impact of, of God, we've got to remember to member as a body, not a club. So what would that look like? How would we flesh that out? If you join me over in 1 Corinthians 12. Now, this can be our other passage for the day. And if you'd stick with us, this is a fairly lengthy passage. You're going to recognize bits of it. But I'm afraid sometimes we skip parts of this passage. I'm always fascinated when people talk about 1 Corinthians 13. It's the love passage. It's the, uh, we quoted it, weddings. But 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, the bookend it, are all about spiritual gifts within the body and how we love the body and how we work the body together. It really wasn't about marriage. It's a lovely passage. I'm not bashing it, but it picks up here and join me in first Corinthians 12. I'm reading from the new living translation, but keep it open because we're going to, we're going to reference different parts of this in different versions. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts 
it should not be seen. While the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. Now go back and let's unpack a little bit of this. Back in verse 12, he says, the human body has many parts. Now we've seen this metaphor before, but I love that it reminds me we are not sufficient on our own. We can't do this on our own. Now this goes against our American culture. American culture says, yes, we can. I can do anything I want. I'm free. And it it clashes with us because it's telling us, You mean I have to be a part of everybody else? Yeah, that's exactly what it means. It doesn't mean everybody controls you. And I don't want you going out of here saying, well, everybody, Don says everybody's got to do what he says. No, that's not what it is. It's that we are parts of one another. We are not independent. And I hear people say, well, I love God, but I don't need the church. Mike referenced some of that too. Folks, that's not biblical. In fact, it is anti-biblical. You'll never find anything that even closely resembles that statement in scripture. Let me see if I can make a point this way. If I were, by the way, I will not do this. I'm not going this far for a preacher illustration, but if I were to chop off this hand, again, not going to do it, but if I were, and I threw it down there on the floor, what, what control over that hand would I have anymore? I would have nothing. And, and that hand would do two things, maybe three. It would putrefy and rot and eventually stink up the place. But it would be not functioning. It would not be a part of anything. It means that part can't make it on its own. We need to be tied to each other. In the book of Revelation, there are letters to seven churches. And one of the churches in chapter three is a church called Laodicea. And that's the one he talks about, not hot or cold. But in there, His biggest complaint with Laodicea is their mindset of self-sufficiency. He says to him, he says, you say, I am rich. I have need of nothing. And Jesus' response is, I will spew you out of my mouth. I, I don't do things on my own. We work together. This concept of anothering will help me to understand we need each other. And it will help me, anothering will help me realize that everyone is important. I want you to go back and look in verse 13. In verse 13, he uses this phrase, some are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. I don't think we get how monumentally controversial that statement was because Jews had a higher look of, well, I'm better than all them other people. And slaves, I'm not equal with a slave. Are you insane? No way. I'm not doing that. It says we all share the same spirit. This mindset will help us to see value over sufficiency. It will help us to see that every part works together. I'm going to have a little test for you. Uh, I'm going to test your NFL knowledge. I'm going to read off a bunch of names. All of these are NFL players. They're, like I said, we won't test you later, trust me. But all of them have something in common. Uh, here are some of the names. A.J. Green, Julio Jones, some guy named Tom Brady. Never heard of him. Um, some of you are going, those are all the people that bailed on me in my fantasy team this year. Now, 
Uh, James Conner, who's a running back. Devontae Adams, who's a wide receiver. So some of you are saying, well, they're all offensive players. How about this? Uh, Dante Jackson was a a cornerback for Carolina. Uh, Sean Lee was a linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys. All of them have... All of them have had damage to their, you ready for this? Flexor hallucis longus tendon, their FHL tendon. And it's talked about a lot. But most of us are going, I don't know what you're talking about, Don. I don't know what a flexor, HFL, whatever that is. I don't know what that tendon is. But it's called something different. It's called turf toe. Anybody ever heard that phrase, turf toe? And it, it, it's, it is, to me, it's a hilarious term because you got these million dollar athletes that are super, you know, strong and everything, and they've got turf toe. <laughs> they can't play because they have turf toe. And it just sounds so innocuous. But what it is, this tendon is one inch long and it goes behind your big toe. And if that tendon is torn, they can't move on that foot. And I love this was in an interview, uh, Dante Jackson said, and he's talking about that FHL 10 in this one inch long, this thing has a mind of its own, but it controls the rest of the body. One little thing and this multi-million dollar machine can't work. How many of you have ever got up in the middle of the night? Now you young people don't understand this. But some of us are at that. We get up in the middle. Amen. Hallelujah. We, and you make your, that little trek. And you, maybe you cut that corner just a little bit too tight. And you hit the edge of the bed with your toe. Anybody ever done that? How come one little bitty toe can cause that much pain? How many of you have ever had an infected tooth? How many of you have ever had a splinter? Just a, a little splinter, and you can't, everything hurts, right? It's one little splinter in your finger. Everything hurts. The Bible is telling us that every small part is important. Every small part is valuable. Another ring reminds us of that. Now, folks, I love programs and systems in the church, and I, I love that. I love programs. I love systems. I love how we work together. I love promoting things. I love AMP is this and Spectrum is that. I love organization and promotion. But programs cannot promote care. Only anothering can do that. They, I'm sorry. Prom, they can only promote care. They can't produce care. That's what I meant to say. Anothering is the only thing that can produce care for one another. It'll only happen when we see this word and this mindset as important. Back to the club metaphor. In a club, members can, if you, if you follow most of the rules, you can do what you're basically your own thing. You can usually wear what you want. You can usually think what you want, vote how you want. But in a membership, a member submits their agenda to the will of the whole. Everybody is working together. Working as a part. Listen to this from 1 Corinthians twelve nineteen from the message. But I also want you to think about how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are a part of. An enormous eye or a gigantic hand wouldn't be a body, it'd be a monster. What we have is one body with many parts, each its proper size and in its proper place. No part is important on its own. 
You see, anothering teaches us to value the others around us. It teaches us to be good submitters. We learn to submit. Listen to this in verse 25. This makes for harmony among the members so that all members care for each other. Friends, that is a maturity level that a lot of churches have not figured out. That loving one another means willingly setting my own agenda aside for others, to honor others. Too often, churches are about preferences rather than promoting the glory of God. I remember I was a part of a church. We had an older man uh, who was a hero of mine, and I looked up to him. And we were having trouble in that generation, in that time of hand-raising, you know, oh, that was a big deal. Oh, it was. Oh, you know, we were super conservative. And some of these people were doing this number in worship. Oh, we couldn't have that. And, you know, and so some were upset about it and some didn't care. Right? And this older man who was a leader in the church is standing in the back of the church one day and he's got his hands in his pockets. And he kind of elbows me and he says, Don, I can't make my hands do that. But I sure am glad we have a place where people can. Now that is good leadership. That is willing to set his, hey man, I can't do that. I wasn't raised that way, but I'm willing to let other people. I don't like that song, but if it helps someone see Jesus, let's go. I don't like that practice. I don't like that format, but if it's pointing people to Jesus, hallelujah, let's do it. That's going to be the leadership and that's going to be the voice we need. Harmony is more important than personal preference. Most of us love peanuts, Lucy and Linus and all that stuff. Linus is watching TV one day and Lucy comes in and says, change the channel. Linus says, how come we got to do what you want to do? And she says, because of these five fingers. You see, they are individually, they are nothing. But when they are curled together in a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. And the next one is Linus getting up and walking over and changing the channel. And then the last frame is him in the last frame looking at his hand going, how come you guys can't get it organized like that? And I love that because it's this mindset of they're working together. Friends, our enemy, Satan knows the power of a functioning church body and it scares him. Because when we work together, when the body becomes members of one another, great things happen. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to make a prediction. The vast majority of us in this room will eventually die. I, I think I've got pretty good odds on that. We will eventually die, but the vast majority of us will not die from external activities. Every once in a while, yes, there will be car accidents. Yes, there will be bad things. I'm not trying to be morbid, but the the vast majority of us will die from something internal. We will die from cancer or heart or overweight or diabetes or just old age where your body starts to fight with your own body. Does that make sense? There will be a point where your body is trying to attack itself. Friends, churches die the same way. But when we are hanging on to one another and we're lifting one another up and we're members of one another, it scares Satan. Can we make anothering our practice and our called arms for 2024? Let me ask you another tough question. 
How healthy would our church body be if everyone practiced your kind of membership? Now, to some of you, you're sitting there going, well, I'm pretty active. I I love the church. I'm lifting up. I'm praying. Fantastic. Great. That's if that be the case. Great. But some are looking at this. Hey man, I just want to go once in a while. Hey, I just want to, I don't want to be involved. I just, I don't really want to belong. I just want to tag along. And if that be the case, it's going to hurt us. In 1999, a guy named Ken Carter became the basketball coach at Richmond High School in Richmond, California. He had actually played for this school when he was younger. They were having a lot of troubles. It was an inner city school, a lot of fights, a lot of drugs, a lot of thug life, really a a difficult situation. So they hired him to be the coach. He said, if I'm running it, it's my show. And he comes in and he makes, he starts establishing order. If you're going to be on my team, you're going to wear a suit and tie on game days. You're going to, uh, you're going to be in class every day. You're going to take notes. You're going to have a three-point grade point average. You're going to have all these things. And they laughed at him and said, I don't know what kind of crazy thoughts you're on. But he starts organizing and structuring this team. Well, one of the players is a guy named Cruz. He's their star player, easily their best player. He says, Foy on this, I'm out of here. And he, he can sell drugs for his cousin and he can make a lot of money. And so he goes off, quits the team. But after a few days or weeks, he, he says, man, I want to play basketball again. I want to be back with my friends. And he comes back and he begs the coach, will you let me back on the team? And they made a movie of this story called Coach Carter. It came out in 2005. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson is the coach. And he he gives Cruz this ridiculous uh, challenge. He said, you want to be a part of this team? Then before Friday, you got to, and I can't remember how many, but it was something like, you got to give me 4,000 push-ups and 100 suicides. Well, suicide's one of those where you start at the baseline, you go to the free throw and back, and then half court and back, and then the other free throw and back, and the other end zone, or in, into the court and back. That's one, all right? He had to do 100 of those. He had to do 4,000, some ridiculous amount by Friday. And if you don't do it, you're not back on the team. And I hope you get the message. And I, I hope you get the metaphor that they only won when all of us won. But here's the problem. Some of us in here aren't winning. Some are struggling with addiction. Some are single parents just trying to stay alive. What anothering means is we come along and we scoop up arms with each other. We hang on to one another because we are all better together. Amen. We are in this together. So as we look at these one another passages this this spring, this year, I just hope that you're listening for God's voice to say, that one is hurting. Can you go do push-ups for that one? Can you go run suicides for that one? Can you go make a meal for them? Can you help them out? Because that will be the mark of a great body. I will make room for you. It's a great song. It's a great phrase, but it's that next line that's hard. To do what you want. To do what you want, God. And there's another line in there that says, your way is better. So let's do it his way. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.